for 12 years in a row. Ranking Arizona's number one most trusted referral network, rosieonthehouse.com. And we're privileged and happy to have you. And over three decades of Rosie on the House. Your Saturday morning tradition for 32 years. Nine o'clock hour, it's hour number two of our weekly radio broadcast. This is our On the House hour. We spend the hour on something, on your home, castle, or cabin. Generally, ordinarily. Had a little hitch in our giddy up this week. We One of the things we do here at Rosie on the House is we travel the country for all kinds of different trade shows, uh, different expos, different things housing related. One of those annual events is the National Kitchen and Bath International Show. <coughs> Went online this week. Our, our plan was to cover, you know, here's the new products, here's new features and cabinets, here's new kitchen appliances, here's the latest and greatest. Yeah. It's so exciting. So much fun every year. We like to go up, usually in Vegas, and walk ourselves to Is death. Is K-Biz in Vegas? hmm That one though is, I, too. Though I saw this year. It was supposed to be in California, but website came out and said, hey, we're going to Zoom the whole thing. It's going to be the most amazing thing, easiest access. You won't even be tired. It crashed within about an hour. <laughs> so the online Yeah, 30,000 is... people sh- signed up, and it oh crashed. Oh, my gosh. So, um, so it's a little challenging. Our, yeah. our content for this hour is stuck in the interweb of things. <laughs> we will get to it when it comes out. out there drifting in space. <clears throat> so we have a, a different program uh, that we just pulled off of last year's top articles with a little spin on it. But before that, uh, as it stands, the National Hardware Show, which is usually in May, uh, They've moved it to October, but they do say it will be live back at uh, the Las Vegas Con- Convention Center and the new West Hall. How, when, when, uh, I can't imagine. They where do they have room to <laughs> add on? It? I don't know, <laughs> but it'll be fun. I like wearing myself out at those shows. It's fun. Just get to hold things, look at things, talk to the experts. I could understand it going up, but I can't imagine it going out anywhere. Mm-mm, mm-mm. But that'll be fun. So we'll be back in Vegas for the National Hardware Show in October. So we'll have a program sometime in October or November around the the new findings that the National Hardware Show originally started in New York during the post-World War II housing boom, eventually moved to Chicago in the 70s, and now a new home in Las Vegas. And it was not held last year, but it'll be back for the 75th National Hardware Show. We'll look forward to that. So going to what are we going to talk about this Saturday? We're all kind of standing around looking at each other. All right, what uh, what do we do? So we looked at an article we published at the end of the year, which was here's our top articles from the year. One of those being uh, native plants for your landscape. So we thought, well, let's put a different spin on that. What about native plants to attract wildlife? And so that is the topic for this hour uh, for your landscaping. If you're looking to attract uh, butterflies, bees, pollinators, hummingbirds, uh, quail, dove, uh, cactus wren, so on and so forth. What are great plants, trees, shrubs, flowers? to attract that natural wildlife so when you're out in your yard you know on a beautiful saturday morning listening to rosie on the house uh, and sitting in your favorite rocking chair under a shade tree watching like a little covey of quail run through 
runs through your yard, thinking about all the chores you got to tackle later on today and putting that plan together. So we have kept John Eisenhower and Sarah Maitland and from our Talking Trees, because looking at this, when we put the article together, the first three were all trees. And we thought, well, they're going to be in studio with us already. So what better thing to do than hold them over for the first hour, uh, segment of this hour to talk about the great trees to attract wildlife. Well, earlier in the last hour, you mentioned about times when you don't want to do so much pruning. Well, this would be a great, uh, um, a great time to talk about when, if you are trying to attract wildlife in your yard, one of the best things you can do is back off on the pruning. The dense foliage is going to attract more, in, uh, more uh, uh, birds and other wildlife to come in because they're going to have the shade, they're going to have the privacy, the protection that that dense foliage provides. Um, we also encourage you to best, especially leave those lower branches on your on your trees because those are the ones that provide the most shade. And um, and like you mentioned, the quail. Um, also leave the leaf litter on the ground if you if at all possible, because that gives a scratch. It provides an environment for insects to come in where those birds can get in and and uh, scratch around and, and and really enjoy your yard as a little sanctuary. Um, these are uh, we have a our yard is what some people might consider overgrown um, some people me including yourself <laughs> including i remember you saying so before the program well, even started I, there, you were telling i way over in my backyard <laughs> <laughs> there is a little bit of that i'm the cobbler with the barefoot kids because i am the arborist who doesn't want to go home and do my own trees sometimes but that being said no i, I we do like to leave things a little more natural and it's so nice to have a covey of quail in our yard almost every day and you hear them back there clucking, and you just see them running across our pool deck because they've got the cover. They're going to go to the, the yards where you have a little bit more uh, foliage, and they can get back in there and find a little bit of privacy, protection from the neighborhood cats, and, you know, can get in and around and actually find some forage and find some seeds and uh, insects in that, in that leaf litter. And so the trees that we have listed today, uh, the first one is the desert ironwood, which— uh, in my opinion, on desert trees, is my favorite. I, I don't know what it is about the desert ironwood, but I know you sent me on a on a on a wild goose chase out on Carefree Highway to look at that really tall one last year. What do you mean wild goose chase? It was awesome. I was gonna say, <laughs> did you not find it? <laughs> I, I did, and I found it with our good friend Rick Cober, and the two of us looked and looked. We finally found it, and he was um, toward the end of his life um, um, on, on chemotherapy and. Um, knew that he had a very short time left in his fight against cancer. But, you know, one of the last things he wanted to do with me was go find a big, nice, awesome tree. And so thank you, uh, Romy, for giving us that chance to get out there. And it was the last uh, day I spent with uh, with Rick, so it was pretty neat. But, yeah, back to your desert ironwood. Amazing trees, prolific bloomers. They're sporadic bloomers, but when they do bloom, it's pretty dramatic. And to not leave everyone hanging, the Arizona Forestry Division has what they call a majestic tree program. And it is a record, a recording of the largest, oldest known tree. So there's two. There's a legacy program, which is, um, I think, the oldest tree. And then there's the majestic one, which is the tallest tree. And they have, and sometimes it's the same, sometimes it's not, of, you know, each individual tree species. So you've got the biggest, oldest known ponderosa. You've got the oldest known uh, juniper, which the Granite Mountain Hotshot saved. And there is the 
tallest known ironwood. You can see it on Highway 74, Carefree Highway, driving. Uh, it's on the south side of the road in the middle of a big wash. And I told you guys it was west of 211 <laughs> turnoff, but I was wrong. It's east of the 211 turnoff, which it. is probably what took so long. I was glad what I, took could, so I long. could get you on the phone and <laughs> get it dialed in. That was great. Yeah. I think it's right at mile marker nine, I believe. You go over a wash, and on the south side, there's this big desert tree all by itself. And that is, as far as anybody knows, the tallest living ironwood in Arizona. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. And I mentioned Rick, Rick Cobra. Rick is a, a very uh, knowledgeable horticulturist and a friend of the industry. Uh, and for 30 or 40 years here in the valley, well known uh, in, in the green industry. And uh, I think he was a, he was a, was a guest on our show here mm-hmm. a couple of times. He it's was. It amazing, was always a lot of fun. Amazing. So. Um, what do you What do you think the first thing he planted in heaven was? <laughs> oh, was a it an ironwood? ironwood? No, he was on a quest to find a, a thornless, thornless ironwood. He found. And he found he, one. Yeah, yeah he found one, and they were trying to clone, um, it. clone it. They were trying to take the cells, and you know how they do with orchids. They take the the meristem, put it in a, in a in a auger and they tumble it so that it can't develop a shooter root and i don't know whatever happened to to his ironwood but he was trying to develop a thornless ironwood now would that be cool that would yeah because the one drawback with ironwoods is they're a little bit thorny but But they do have that beautiful bloom you know that fuchsia pink Mm -hmm. well the desert ironwood the mesquite your 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 blue palo verde all these are prolific bloomers that provide um, a lot of, of blossoms for pollinators and for for birds. And as we move from ironwood to mesquite, one of the reasons you see mesquite and the Palo Verdes more popular in, you know, developed landscapes, I say developed man-made landscapes, everybody wants instant gratification. And the desert ironwood is a very slow-growing tree. But it's what also makes it extremely hardy. The slower the growing tree, it seems like the hardier it is. Mm-hmm. And the longer they live, I mean, you, when you go out after the monsoons and you're picking up trees that are blown over, how often are you picking up an ironwood? Very seldom. You're picking up mesquite. You're picking up Palo Verdes. You're, yeah. Faster I, they're growing, the, the easier they fall apart. So, But uh, that said, mesquites are very popular <laughs> and, and great. Uh, there, there's a lot of benefits as well. One of uh, the best places, and I say best places, if you go to any of the lakes in Arizona – when you get up along a shoreline, you know, there's almost always a gigantic grove of mesquites that you can dock your boat and set up your lunch mm-hmm. in, and, and a great shade canopy under underneath mesquites. Yeah, mesquite bosque. There's nothing quite like it. Yeah, finding a, a, a natural mesquite uh, grove. Yeah, there's, and they're all, all around. I've got this really great picture of a, of a mesquite tree um, that just growing right on the shoreline and the water – the 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 um, the uh, ebb and the the rising water levels in the lake had, had eroded the almost the entire root system, mm. except for a few little uh, roots that were still in the ground. And here that that little mesquite is still thriving, just loving that spot, you know. But yeah, they're really a durable, bulletproof tree. And and the pods are very beneficial for wildlife, and the coyotes eat the pods. But I got a really treat this week. Um, my girlfriend makes mesquite f- pod flour. And made cookies for me, and they were like incredible, gluten free and everything. But wow. it, they're edible, yeah. And and it's that's a good tree for wildlife. Now don't pick, don't eat them if they're on the ground. Pick them off the tree. 
and the time to harvest them is really about the heat of the summer, mm-hmm. late, late, fully dried out yeah. June. So, uh, just if you eat them off the ground, usually they're already infected by other bugs and insects, insects and everything. Yeah. But never, never eat the pot off straight off the ground. Just before anyone out is sitting out there looking at, oh, well, let me try that then. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, and it'll, it'll tell you, too, if it's a little bit too early for the pot. It won't taste as sweet. Bitter. You know, yep. They have so, to be pretty topic dried out. Topic this hour, planting in your landscape to attract natural wildlife. I'm sure she bought from this <laughs> Well, we're talking. We're still in the mesquite flower thing in the, during the break, and our urban farmer who comes in the fourth Saturday of the month for outdoor living hour, Greg Peterson, he bought a mesquite mill, and in the summertime, you can take the mesquite pods off of your trees, bring it to him, and they'll grind it up and give you the flower back, and you can store it, you can freeze it, you can use it, you can cook it. Um, so as, as much tree- as you bring, they'll grind up. I know Trees Matter had a big a grinding party uh, a couple years back, and they had a mesquite flower pancake breakfast down in downtown Phoenix. That was a lot of fun, too. I mean, the, the flower is just so sweet and amazingly versatile. You can use it for lots of stuff. And I know Tucson has a mesquite mill. I don't remember the name of the organization. I'll have to find that and make sure it's on our tree resource pages at rosieonthehouse.com. But there is another mill in tucson that you can do the same thing with so they used to be the only one in the state and the timing is really important it seems like you're not supposed to eat them on the ground and you're not supposed to eat them you know before they're green but then the storms come the monsoons come and knock them off just right before they're ready so it's kind (laughs) of tricky it's a little bit of a dance that is the mesquite tree uh we've kept john and sarah again for another segment because we didn't get to all of our trees this is typically our on the house hour our topic for today crashed on the web. Uh, the event we were going to attend went virtual. That didn't work, so we're repurposing an article from last year on the most popular uh, native trees to native plants with a spin on it. For this broadcast, we're talking about native trees that will help attract wildlife. We're also talking during the break about you know, also being smart about it, depending on what part, how how far in town you live and how far out of town you live. There, the wildlife that could be bringing into your, your yard, you may not want javelina in your yard. You may not want uh, bobcats, foxes, you know, those types of things. It just depends on what your comfort level is for the wildlife. As you get higher into the elevations in Arizona, you know, there's a lot of deer and a lot of elk that, uh, you know, a deer fence is a lot different than a rabbit fence. <laughs> well, you know, speaking of bobcats, uh, one of our customers had the, this beautiful experience of having a, a bobcat that brought her kittens every day, would bring them and drop three kittens into the back patio. It was a nursery, I guess. And then the mom would take off and go hunting, do other things. Then she'd come back at the end of the day and grab the kittens and take them out. And so they watch these little kittens grow up over a period of time. So it is, uh, bobcats are, would be a beautiful thing. I've heard, had another customer of ours had bobcats that they watched, uh, uh, for several months, one year would come and spend a lot of time in their yard. And they're a fascinating animal. And if you have the privilege of Having those in your yard, it's kind of cool. And you can be in, you know, deep in the city around mountain preserves and still have. Uh, I remember 
uh, my uncle had a raccoon in the middle of, you know, Scottsdale on his back, yeah. <laughs> on his back porch, come down off the mountain, watched seven coyotes go across uh, his backyard one day across the mountain. So well, we saw, you, we saw our, the water rippling in our, in our pool at night. My wife caught it, caught Caught, you know, just the looking out. It was dark in the backyard, but she could see the the reflection that the, and the, that the, ref, the water was um, was disturbed in the pool. And she flipped the light on, and there's a raccoon in our pool. Well, the next night we saw it again, and so I got we got a big flashlight, turned the lights off in the house, got a flashlight. Six raccoons, a mom and a daddy apparently, and four little ones. And so they were bathing in the pool in the middle of the hot <laughs> summer, that wicked hot summer we had. And they're out there just enjoying it. And what was interesting is they would take the thermometer out and put it on the pool deck. I thought every night we'd watch them, they would take the thermometer out because it would be the, – the, 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 the pool was going, so that thermometer would, would circle around in the pool. And apparently it was disturbing them. <laughs> because it had a little shark head on it. You know, I thought, this is, this is oh completely God. crazy. But no, it was really fun. We finally um, uh, spooked him one night and, and scared him off to somebody else's yard. So, well, Arizona Game and Fish would tell you not to feed that size of wildlife. It upsets their um, their system and their senses, and they they lose their natural um, fear of man. But I think when you're talking about attracting things, it would be anything that would help the pollinators. You know, that's you, you can't go wrong by doing that. It really helps everything. Everything that grows needs that. And pollinators aren't just bees. It could also be your monarchs. It can be uh, hummingbirds. There's a lot more Bats. than just bees, but uh, bees are, are important as well. We have uh, a list, working list here before we get into our smaller shrubs, the blue palaverde and the foothills palaverde. What's the difference between a blue and a foothill palaverde? Well, Who knows? The blue, blue palaverde is <laughs> our state tree. It's our Floridum. It's the big, the large one with a little blue, a blue cast to the, um, to the bark, and it's got a little bit larger leaf. Your foothill palaverdes are the little ones that dot all of our hillsides. You know, throughout all the, you know, all the, the little foothills. That's where they get their name. They cover all the the hillsides. Those are all of our foothill palaverdes, or it's also called the um, little leaf palaverde. Microtheca is the um, species, but they're just a great little. Both of them prolific bloomers. And uh, wildlife attractors. And we're close to that bloom, the, the very bright, very elegant yellow bloom on Palo Verdes. You know, there's Coming areas up. where they have planted them in rows down certain streets, and it's just like you're driving through this yellow canopy. It's a very it's beautiful. beautiful sight for us. We'll Arizona. be seeing that outside these windows here pretty soon. So how is it that you cancel the National Kitchen and Bath Show in person, but yet you can still have the Tattoo Festival at Westworld? <laughs> I don't know. How, 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 explain that one to me, well, I please. I think they're wishing they would have stayed in person <laughs> after the events of this past week. I think some heads are rolling. I think somebody's going to get a K-Biz tattoo on their arm because they were... Disappointed it didn't happen. Or? It's I don't the know. Body Art Expo for oh, that's for the right. Correctness. <laughs> Gotta be so, technical. So, do we have to change it to the Kitchen Art Expo in order to have this thing in person? Maybe so. 
Our regularly scheduled program was going to be covering what we found at the Kitchen and Bath Expo. It's an uh, annual event, uh, annual expo, all the new latest trends, products, finishes, colors, designs, cabinets, woods. Uh, did not happen. Went virtual. The virtual Platform, home show yep. crashed within the first half hour so. We're, we are repurposing an article from last year with a different spin on it. We talked about the most popular tr- native plants for your landscape. And this time we're talking about one spe- specifically that will bring in a lot of natural wildlife to your yard. Mainly we're talking about, when we're talking about attracting wildlife, we're talking about pollinators and quail, bringing them into your yard. But uh, prickly pear will bring... A javelina, if you're near a wash, it'll bring a lot. You know, you walk out in the desert, you notice that the cattle, that's the first thing they eat uh, when the when the prickly pear blooms come. A lot of moisture in there, and those stickers do not bother the wildlife. I don't know how, but they, mm-hmm. they do not. Yeah. But it's one of those things that not only does it feed the critters, but you can eat, you know, there's a lot of things off the prickly pear, the pad and the fruit that humans can eat as well. And it does make just a wonderful ground cover for quail, for rabbits. If you want more rabbits, I don't want more rabbits, but any kind of bird critters. So great thing to have in your yard. You don't see them often, but I did, uh, gosh, just just recently in the produce section, you, you can find the prickly pear pads. Well worth it. They've taken the thorns out very, (laughs) and they're tasty too. So it's just a lot of fun. You know, you can really get carried away to the next level when you do this. Um, There's so much good information, Romy. If you go online to look up um, uh, pollinated uh, plants for pollinators, Uh, I started at the Audubon Society, and the Arizona Audubon Society chapter has a great, fantastic website with all kinds of great. resources for plants specifically for our area. I think that's one of the hardest things about gardening here sometimes is is knowing what is good for here. And, um, you know, just the things you would look for and need to attract them. It has to do with color. It has to do with amount. You would, Just one uh, bird, um, one plant is not going to attract a lot. You need a little cluster of things. You need things that are like John Eisenhower was saying down that grow low. You don't want to trim things up high. Um so that's this just could be a, a lot of fun. And do you know what's really neat? This this very week, February twelfth through fifteenth, is the international bird count. So I'm gonna have Carol put some of this stuff up on Facebook because it's a lot of fun. It's um, if you go to birdcount.org, you can um, any any fifteen minutes within that four day period, you go out in your yard or wherever you are and you count birds. And if you're able, you identify them. And there's all kinds of good um, apps now. And then you enter them on um, uh, birdcount.org and in the, on the eBird websites. So it's just fun. And then that way they can count and see how the bird populations are doing. Also, starting this month and going all the way to April 22nd, you can count the monarchs. Now, we don't have many monarch butterflies here, but if you're in southern Arizona or south, southwest Arizona, you have a decent chance of seeing them. Well, or Flagstaff. Okay, yeah. I don't know about no. this time of year, but I do know... Their Arboretum has a monarch watching program. Ah. I think it usually starts around May. Well, if you go to westernmonarchcount.org, you can also be part of that program. And they're encouraging people to plant natural milkweed because um, the population appears to be diminishing, and that will attract them, feed them, get them on their way to going back and forth like they need to. So if you go to the 
nurseries and ask for milkweed, make sure that you're planting the native milkweed varieties. Sarah knew the exact name of, I of course don't, but your nursery will. You just ask for the native varieties. I think there's two. And milkweed, I described that plant for me. Is that, I can't even picture what a, a milkweed looks like off the top of my head. It doesn't even sound like something I would want to plant. <laughs> I know. I think it's a little scruffy looking. Um, to be honest, I didn't look it up, but I, I think, uh, I think it must be, it's native, so it must be very easy to grow. Oh, it looks like a, a nice orange bloom for a lot of uh, the, the desert types. Another one of the plants we have listed on here is the desert marigold. Now, that's an extremely popular one and a very pretty one. Mm-hmm. I don't Milk know if they track monarchs, but uh, a, a much more attractive plant. <laughs> well, do you know you can plant according to what you want to attract. I found a, an incredible resource on the Arizona Audubon site called Selecting Plants for Pollinators. And it tells you, you know, you choose according to color and what colors kind of attract what. Um, the, t- the style, like if you're trying to um, attract hummingbirds, you would want a tubular flower, you know, like a flute, so they can stick their little beak in there and get a good long drink. Um, so there is really a lot to it, but, but it's a really a lot of fun. And with everybody staying home, I think it's a great way to pass some time. Um, you can also get your yard certified if you go to um, the National Wildlife Federation.org. You can actually have your yard certified as a natural habitat, which is kind of fun. And you would just need to, um, there's a kind of a checklist of things, you know, the correct food, water, cover, places to hide, and you document those things and you get certified. So I think it's a great homeschool project. And what is that one? Natural, um, sorry, National Federal Wildlife. No, I think that's opposite. NWF.org. And you get your yard certified as what? Like a natural habitat. A natural habitat. Mm-hmm. Garden for Wildlife. Do you remember that magazine we used to get, Ranger Rick? Do you remember that mm-hmm. one? No. It goes, it goes, that's the same people. They're all in the wildlife and stuff. So that's kind of a fun thing to do with it, with your information. You know, kind of encourage and be part of that. It's so important. You know, pollinators, um, natural pollinators like like we talk about bees and wasps and hummingbirds. Did you know flies count? Yuck. Um, <laughs> moths, you know, they, they, 90%, they do 90% of the pollinating. So if we don't have pollinators, we don't have food. So we need, we need that. And then the caterpillars feed the birds. So I think sometimes we're our own worst enemies when we're always trying to kill everything off and make everything clean. And, you know, John Eisenhower is encouraging us to leave our yards natural, let things grow lower. Um, you know, we don't feel like we have to annihilate everything and get rid of every last scrap of leaf drop. So we need to encourage those things. I don't know who decided flies count as a pollinator. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking the same thing. <laughs> it's right here on this list. <laughs> I was shocked when I saw that, actually. And I, I do agree. We, you know, letting things and nature take its course in our yards and, you know, we can over control them. But I, <clears throat> I'm not going to do anything to encourage more flies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, going by a garbage container, I see flies and I go, pollinators? <laughs> <laughs> It just must be because they hop around from thing to thing. And, you know, I don't think it's anything. I think they don't. I think they're on the bottom of the totem pole for everything, including pollination. There's also a lot of resources that you can go walk in public gardens. Water Use It Wisely put together a list. I don't know. I I got this printed in last December of local zero escape gardens that are open to the public. You can go walk through. And if you're looking and planning, you know, a lot of things we try and, and go too fast. 
That's a we want it right thing. now. You know, it's <laughs> <laughs> if, if you have a clean slate or you're looking to completely redo your landscape, you, a lot of times we pick plants based on how they look right now. Well, they look different each time of the year, and it may not be something mm. that we want uh, or decide we don't like. And going back and observing these natural gardens, you know, pick three or four local ones to you and go by at the different critical times of the year, maybe stop by once a month on your way home at you know, the last Friday of every month, stop in and see how they look at night, how they look during the day, the different colors, what uh, insects, what wildlife are in them, and start picking which one of these are your favorites. Because the, the, the list of native to Arizona plants isn't nearly as extensive as the list of desert adaptive plants. Mm-hmm. So there's, you know, there's plenty of arid I think John says one third of the, you know, earth that's that's not water, <laughs> the the land, one third of the earth that's on land is desert, classified as desert. And there's a number of varieties that you know come from all arid parts of the world that we have in our local botanical gardens and, and these zero typescapes. So, you know what what you see if you're just walking in different parts of the desert, um, you know, there's a lot more variety to that and in the natural desert, you, when you, I mean, for whatever reason, as soon as you get to any kind of a slope, you start to see the plants immediately change. You can be, you, um, you know, the, the flat areas, you see a lot of creosote, you see a tree here or there, you see a saguaro here or there. As soon as there's, uh, I mean, it could even be just a little tiny crop of rocks that naturally form there. There's going to be something different growing on there. Well, we can make those same things grow in our yard. You can bring in uh, all types of things that naturally grow maybe at a higher elevation. You can bring them into lower. Not, you know, I'm not talking from 5,000 feet elevation down to 1,000, but what grows at two or 3,000 feet naturally, you can bring those plants into your backyard done properly. So there's a huge variety. And these local gardens, it's waterusewisely.com. It's one of their blogs, and it's called Local Zero Escape Gardens. And they're all over. Uh, they've got Avondale, Chandler, even Flagstaff listed on here. You don't think Zero Escape and Flagstaff, but they do have a location there, Glendale, Mesa, Paradise Valley. And these are all public gardens, Peoria, Phoenix, Scottsdale, going down through this list, um, Superior, they've got Sierra Vista, they've got, uh, which is a, a very beautiful, uh, looking at this picture, Tucson, Tempe, so it's it's a complete statewide list of Xeriscape Gardens open to the public. You can go uh, walk through, take pictures, bring those to your nursery, they'll know what, or your landscape contractor, whether you're going to do it yourself or uh, hire it done they'll be able to help identify what those plants are if those gardens don't have little labels Yeah, most on. of them are very educational. They have the plants labeled. Sometimes they have classes through the city, and they give you lots of ideas how to use the earth and the rock and different natural things to really incorporate. Well, I think there may have been an issue with our text uh, platform, there was nothing that came in from uh, 8 o'clock yesterday until uh, 8 o'clock this morning, and it just hit. So 
Well, I have to uh, say, with everything going in the news, <laughs> if there's nothing there, then it's not working. There's definitely a, a, an extreme delay because both of these text questions that came in just popped up on our screen, but the timestamp is 8 o'clock uh, this morning and 8.10. Both questions that we'll save for our 10 o'clock hour. They're home improvement questions okay. we'll get to. So if you've texted to us at all today, don't assume we got it. I would say just forward that text to our info at rosieonthehouse.com email address. We'll see it there. We can address it. We did a little impromptu promotion uh, giveaway with a, a tree via oh, question oh, at the end of last hour. So everyone that participated in that, we did not get your answer. Forward that to info. We'll mention it again at the, at the close of this segment, or maybe we'll hold it into uh, – the beginning of the 10 o'clock hour because we've got Willie on the line. I don't know that we've given the phone number out at all this hour. It's one 767 4348 That's 1-888-ROSIE4U. When the auto attendant answers, just hit the one button. That'll bypass uh, the auto attendant and you'll get into the studio. And that would be a great time as we're going into our 10 o'clock hour here in the next segment, our open line hour, open home hour, open to you, the Arizona homeowner. Whatever you want to talk about your home, castle, or cabin, but let's wrap up this hour. Our topic is planting uh, to attract wildlife. And Willie would like to join the conversation calling in from Levine. Welcome to the program. Thank you. What'd you call in for? I was calling to find out about the trees at uh, the shade tree program that you're going to be discussing today and how to pick up trees. Okay. Do you know who your utility provider is? Are you an SRP customer? Yes, I am. Perfect. Well, you can go to rosieonthehouse.com and our uh, events tab. You can, it's the SRP customers uh, tab. Click on that. And the dates there are today, Saturday at 10 o'clock, Wednesday at noon, and Saturday, March 6th. So you've got three different times you can go, but there are some specific things to know before you go just randomly pick it up. I guess there's certain areas that you have to plant it. Well, first of all, it says you have to attend a workshop and earn two trees. We talked um, in the 8 o'clock hour about how important it is to plant trees correctly. We can kill trees pretty quickly just by planting in the wrong way. So they want to make sure that you have success with your trees. So you take this workshop and it is required in order to get them. So you go on that website, SRP dot, uh, srpnet.com and sign up for a workshop on one of those three dates Romy just mentioned. And then you, um, you must be a current SRP customer, and then you have to agree to these things. Now, Roman, this almost sounds like adopting a pet, okay? <laughs> so um, you have to make sure you have the legal right to put that tree on your property. That has been an issue in the past. When I, so like if you're a renting it from a homeowner. Right, and you have to make sure they're okay with that, or if you're in an apartment or whatever. Um, you have to plant the tree on the south, west, or east side of your home because they want to make sure it's really going to provide the shade because that's what they're giving them out for. Um, you have to plant them within 15 feet of an exposed exterior wall or window. Now, Romy, what is the parameter for planting a tree when we talk about foundations? Between well... Typically, what we tell everybody is whatever height the tree is going to be, that's the distance away from the foundation in a perfect world. Okay. 15 feet away on a Palo Verde, is that root zone going to cause any trouble to your foundation? Maybe one in 10,000 might. Uh, I would be more concerned about where the drain lines are. And if you're on a septic, especially if you're oh. on a septic, making sure you don't plant that 
where those roots are going to get into the the leech lines. And they can go a long way. So those are things to think about for that part of it. Um, You have to have the ability to care for the tree. And um, you have not previously received trees from the SRP Shade Tree Workshop. So, like I said, kind of like adopting a pet, you have to agree to those things. But take the class. It'd be so worth it. Um, Looks like the class is... I didn't see that there's a fee, and then you get the two trees to bring home. And they are between, what did it say, four to six-foot saplings. So it's a nice size little tree to bring home. And it, are these classes online, or are they in person? I got the impression they're uh, online this time. You know what? Online Zoom webinar is what it says. Okay, so one is starting uh, here in just about five minutes. And it's closed, yeah. Oh, it's already closed. Mm-hmm. So then you can sign up for Wednesday, February 24th at noon, or Saturday, March 26th. Again, at 10 a.m. So we appreciate you tuning in, Willie. Hopefully you apply uh, to all those pre-existing conditions and you're able to get a couple trees planted in your yard. If not, uh, you're in Levine, a great local uh, nursery out there is Elgin on 83rd Avenue. And McDowell has a lot of great native plants and a lot of good desert adapted plants and fruit trees as well. I hope people are inspired today. Just lots of good things to think about and, you know, get your mind out of the computer, outside, wildlife, plants, trees. It's just so good for your heart, soul, your eyes, everything. I like those programs you mentioned, the one getting your yard certified as... National Wildlife Federation. Um, you can have your garden in your yard as a certified as a habitat, wildlife habitat. And then the other one was a, a bird count? Yeah, bird count is just this week, 12th to the 15th, 15 minutes. Go to um, birdcount.org and participate in that international program. And then you can also count monarchs. So that's online as well. Bird count, Ramsey Canyon, stay the night, get the pot. There you go. 10 o'clock hour coming up. If you've got a question on your home, castle, or cabin, 1-888-767-4348. That's 1-888-ROSIE for you.